Welcome to The Heart Zone, a podcast ministry of Kernsville Christian Church, featuring the teaching ministry of George Cannon. For more information about Kernsville Christian Church, visit us on the web at www.kernsvillechristian.org. And now, for a message from The Heart Zone, here's George. All right, guys, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to uh, John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're winding our way down through the gospel, and, and today we're going to talk about faith realized. We're going to look at a story that a lot of us are familiar with. I've heard lots of sermons from this passage. I'm hoping, of course, I'm going to add to those sermons if you've heard a lot. Usually we're going to talk about Thomas. And, and through the years, I don't know, have you, has anybody ever heard the title Doubting Thomas? Okay. I'll be honest with you, I think that's unfair. Uh, yeah, he's expressing some doubt, but it's not like he wanted to doubt. He's just being realistic. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. But <clears throat> doubts are real. If you tell me you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you don't have doubts, I will talk with you later. We'll have a meeting, we'll go over coffee or have lunch together, and we'll talk about that because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, doubts are natural. They're a natural part of your life. Well, I don't disbelieve. I didn't say you disbelieve, but it's about doubting God. What do you mean? Well, you ever prayed for something, but in the back of your mind, you're really questioning whether or not God's going to answer it? That's a doubt, right? That's natural. Any kind of doubts come to your mind. It's natural. And when you think about what these folks are going through, I can understand completely how Thomas acted the way he did. So, so, for instance, you know, I've lived here in Kerwinsville 22 years now, going to be 22 years. Some of you have lived here all of your lives. Uh, anybody tell me of somebody being resurrected from the dead any time here in the last 22 years that you're aware of and you knew that this person was dead and he walked up out of the grave and did what he was doing? Were you expecting that? Now, if somebody came and told you, well, I know about Fred, and Fred did that, you would have what in your mind? Doubts. Like, really? Are you kidding me? It was no different when Jesus was dead and buried and rose again. And if you had said to even his most devout follower that Jesus is alive, and they didn't see it, their natural reaction, it's a natural reaction, they would have what, folks? doubts. You know. But what we're going to see from this passage is faith realized. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about faith and what it's based on and what you are basing it on and what Jesus calls us to base it on. And about faith in him because he is alive. So Let's look at the scripture together. We're going to look at verses 19 through 31. Let's look at what John records, okay? Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, 
When the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. And as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to, to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. And he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came and the doors were shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here. Put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Okay, folks, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this passage. Basically, it kind of divides itself into two sections here. We're going to see the reality of Jesus. That's his first meeting with them without Thomas. That's verses 19 to 23. And then we're going to look at the issue of faith and doubt. We're going to see that in verses 24 to 31. That's his interaction with Thomas and some things that were shared there. So let's talk about the reality of Jesus. So let's have the setting here, okay? All right, so you know this is on the day he was raised from the dead. They found the tomb Obviously, Mary has seen him. We had that, saw that interaction last week. Peter and John went to the tomb. They went into the tomb. John, seeing, believes. So they know the tomb is empty, but it's that evening. What are they doing that evening? It says they're assembled in some upper room somewhere. Doors are barred. Why? Because they're afraid. Why are they afraid? Well, they're afraid because they're the followers of Jesus, and the one they followed had just been crucified by the authorities. So now they're thinking they're coming for them. So they're up there afraid. And then the passage tells us, look with me at verse 19. Verse 19, I think it's interesting. Then Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. So here they are in this room, it's barred, doors are closed. All of a sudden, there's Jesus. First thing out of his mouth, peace be with you. That would need to be said to me. 
Wouldn't it, if you think about it, if you're sitting there and you're, you're and all of a sudden, boom, there's Jesus, walks through walls, whatever, he's there. Somebody need, would need to tell me, peace be with you is calm down. That's basically what it means. Calm down. I'm here. And so what I want to show you is the very first thing, Jesus speaks peace in the midst of fear. He speaks peace in the midst of fear. How do you know that, George? Well, you go with me over to um, Philippians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing. What is that? Worry. What are we worried about? Our fears. And you go to God, Paul says, and what? And you tell him with supplication, with thanksgiving. I don't know if I can be thankful about my fears. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. You tell God, oh God, I'm going through this right now. I'm fearful. And the peace of God, what? Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You have someone you can go to. Jesus speaks peace in the midst of fear to his followers. That's what he's doing here. That's his reality. Do you, do you understand? So can, can I be honest with you? Don't ever think that God adds to your fears. Don't ever think that he's the one creating fears. Don't ever think that. Sometimes we like to... Some people like to think of God as being so sovereign that he creates our problems for us. No, no, he uses our problems. He doesn't create them. Do you understand what I'm saying? He uses them. He doesn't create them. But what he wants for you is peace. So here he is. He's showing up with these disciples. They're fearful. Somebody's going to come get them. Here's Jesus. He shows up. Peace be with you. Here's what else he does. I, it's, I, I, I had to read it several times. I've read it many times, but again, I had to read it several times. Like the next thing that comes out of his mouth, look with me at verse 20 and 21. Well, first of all, he shows himself. So he said to them, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. Verse 21, then he said to them again, peace to you. So, okay, peace. Here it is. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. What's he doing here? The next thing that comes out of his mouth is, is just like I was sent by my father, by God the Father, to go do what I'm to, I'm sending you now. So here, here's what it does. Jesus sends his followers out. I think that's interesting. So in the midst of the fears that they have, oh, the culture is different, the people are going to come get to us because we're a follower of Jesus, he comes along and says, peace, just have peace. And he says it again, peace to you, and then what? Just as I was sent out by my Father, I'm sending you out. The mission has to continue. Why would he say that? Because they're scared right now, right? They're scared of being able to go out and 
do what they're supposed to do because they're afraid that there's going to be people are going to come for them. Now, I think it's interesting when you read the book of Acts and you read those first few chapters, right after Acts chapter 2 with what happened at Pentecost when the Spirit comes, for the next chapters after that, they go boldly into the temple and no matter what the authorities are doing, they don't care. They're sharing about Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is real to them. Jesus is real. And that means a lot to them. Because when he's real, that's what guides you. So, 37 years ago, so I shared something about 22 years ago coming here. 37 years ago, I was a new Christian. I uh, was in my second year at the University of South Carolina as an engineering student, and uh, I just came to Christ in the spring before that, and uh, man, Jesus wonderfully worked in my life. And so I'm it's December, and I had an ultimatum given to me by my family. They, they were glad that I, I quit the party scene, I quit drinking, I quit smoking, and my filthy mouth stopped. But what they couldn't get, because they weren't church people, they couldn't understand this whole thing of me going to church every Sunday. And when it was found out by my mother that I was tithing, because I left my checkbook laying around, and you know how moms are, you got to look to see where you're spending your money. You know what I'm saying? I, I got an ultimatum. Like, you need to give up this Jesus thing or move out. And so in December of 1985, I was had my, I had a Chevette, okay? All right, so I, I had my Chevette packed with my stuff and went over to the ministry house at the University of South Carolina and moved in there. Why did I do that? Because he was real. Jesus was real. And I couldn't just shut up about him anymore. Did you understand? He sends us out. I think sometimes we forget that. He's... To be honest with you, God wants you to have a happy life. But he wants you to have the happy life when you go to be with him. He didn't promise you a happy life now. Did you understand what I'm saying? It, it's when you go to be with him. In the meantime, you live for him and you share. If he's real, how can you be quiet about him? So here they are, they were in peace, and he sends his follower out. And, how, and here's the thing. I think it's interesting because the very next thing after he sends them out, he breathes on them. If you look at verse 22, and here's what he, verse 22. And when he had said this, so when he had said, I'm sending you out, that had to freak them out. Let, let's just stop. If you're just, I'm sending you out like I was saying, what? Are you kidding me? They're coming for me. You know, and then here's what he does. Verse 22, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
Here's the thing I want you to see. Jesus gives his followers the Holy Spirit. And he's already told them about the Holy Spirit earlier in John. I'm sending another comforter. He's going to be with you. He's going to guide you. He's going to convict of sin. He's going to teach you all things. I won't be with you, but he'll be with you. So go. You're not alone. Because that's our fear, isn't it? That's our fear as we live in this world, as, we, as we're inter interacting with the people, is that we're the only ones who believe. And so no, how, do, how do I handle this? You're not alone. So what's my message? He tells you. Look with me at verse 23. Here's your message. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. What? Here's what he says. Jesus gives his followers the message of forgiveness. Folks, your message isn't keep America pure. Great message, not the church's message. Okay? Your message is God forgives. And if he can forgive me, he can forgive you. Do you understand? And if they don't accept that, their sins are what? Retained. They have to answer for that when they appear before the Lord. Our message is the message of Jesus who came to what? Reconcile humanity back to God. That's your message. But we've got it so distracted with everything else, right? So some, for some folks, we need to focus on the political. Some folks, it's making sure that everybody has a cookie. Or some folks, it's making sure that everybody has this. You name it. We've got all kinds of things that we're focused on, but we forgot the main message. What is it? Salvation by Christ alone for faith, by faith. For what? The forgiveness of sins and the entering in of the relationship with Christ. That's our message. And here he is. He's telling them. I mean, think about it. They're like, just before he shows up, they're like, man, how am I going to get out of Jerusalem? Is there a way that we can just leave this place and, and get back to Galilee? I can go back to fishing. Nobody will ever know. How can I do this without getting caught? I don't want to have the same thing happen to me that just happened to Jesus. And here he is. Boom, he shows up. Peace. I mean, that would freak you out. And then he's like, hey, I'm sending you out. Are you kidding me? Oh, by the way, you're not going to be alone. Receive the Holy Spirit. Here's your message. It's the same message that I've been given all along. Did you notice that? It's the same message. What did Jesus preach on? God, the relationship with him, and being right with him. He didn't address the Romans. He didn't address Herod. He focused on what? The relationship with God. So that, my friends, is the reality of Jesus. But then here's the thing. So the passage points out that there was one guy missing. One guy missing. Who's the guy? Thomas, the twin. What does that mean? Well, Thomas obviously had somebody else who was his twin. We don't know who that is. But he was referred to as the twin, so there's 
Thomas and his brother somewhere, but Thomas wasn't there. And so when Thomas shows up, and I looked at what Thomas is saying, and I would say, yeah, I would probably be the same way, because I don't know if you know this about George, I'm naturally a skeptical person. Naturally. I got a, I've, I've joked with some of my friends, I got a big C on kind of tattooed on my head with no color that says cynic. That, that's me. I'm just being honest, okay? So I, I can relate to Thomas. So here's Thomas. He shows up. They're like, hey, the Lord was here. We saw him. And, and Thomas is like, if you read the passage, what? I don't know. If, are you guys okay? I know you were really worked up about getting caught. Are you sure you're okay? You sure this isn't some kind of mass delusion that everybody's having because of your grief? Unless I see the prints in his hands and feel them, unless I touch his side, and, 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 and then, yeah, I'll believe then. It's natural, right? That's natural. So that brings me to my first point here. It's natural to be skeptical and have doubts about Jesus. So can I, can I settle this for some of you? So I've been a believer since 1985. All right, so 37 years. I've been a pastor now for next year. I'll be ordained 30 years, okay? So I've sat in a pew. I've been a pastor. I'm just going to tell you. I've heard some things through the years that are just flat out wrong from people. And it's like if you have doubts, there's something wrong with you. You're not a good enough Christian. You should never have doubts. I've heard pastors say that. I've heard well-meaning Christians say that. And I'm going to tell you right now, that is a flat-out lie. Do not entertain that thought. Why? Doubts are natural. In fact, Jesus knew that. You go to the Gospels, there's the guy that wants Jesus to come and heal, heal a member of his family, his daughter, and uh, they're being delayed, and, and then the report comes, don't bother to teach her, she's, she's already gone, and, and Jesus tells him, it'll be okay, and, and just believe, and, and, the, and the guy says, I believe, but help my unbelief. He's telling Jesus, I believe, but I have doubts. And Jesus said, it's okay. And so what does he do? He goes and he raises the girl from the dead. God understands. Why does he understand? Because you're not God. You're human. Do you know what I'm saying? And just like you would have doubts about anything else in your life that you see, do you understand? That you see, like sometimes, okay, I remember there used to be, before we got this metal one, we had a, a wooden one here, which is in this other room over here, or maybe we got rid of it, I don't know. But I would gingerly sit on it because it creaked all the time, and I would have doubts as to whether it was going to hold me the whole service. Those are natural things, right? Those are natural doubts that we have. So guess what we ended up doing? I went to Ollie's and got a metal one. And it holds me now. I have no more doubts when I sit on this. 
Those are natural feelings that we have here. Do you understand? God knows that. It's natural, my friends, listen to me, to be like Thomas. So this is where the story gets beautiful. So here you are, I'm talking about you. You got something going on in your life. You're you're praying, you're pouring your heart out. God, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I need you to work. I need you to provide. Whatever it is, you're you're pouring your heart, but in the back of your mind, like really, you know, I want to believe, but I got these questions, I got these questions. And then you're like, you feel guilty. You know, I'm doubting. So he's probably not going to answer me. He's he's probably disappointed with me. Isn't that natural that we feel that way? That that because we have doubts, we're like, man, I I know I'm supposed to have faith, but but I'm I'm really struggling right now. But oh God, please forgive. And we even said, God, forgive me. What's so beautiful about this passage is Eight days later, so a week from Monday, so they met on the Sunday before, the Monday, a week from that Monday, Jesus shows up in the room, Thomas is there, first thing out of his mouth is, Thomas, come here. Peace to you, obviously to say that, calm him down. Thomas, come here, touch my hands, touch my side. Why? Because he loved Thomas. And he didn't want him to doubt anymore. He wanted him to have what? Faith. This is what's so beautiful. So here's three things that come out of this, okay? Here, first of all, here's the, here it is. First of all, Jesus calls his followers not to doubt, but to have faith. Look with me, verse 26 and 27. Here's what he says. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them, and Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace to you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Here's the statement. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. That word unbelieving can also be, don't doubt but have faith. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to realize that the last part of verse 27 is the verse for you today. Don't doubt him, but have faith. But have faith. Here's the other thing, here's what he says. Verse 28 and 29, he says, And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Of course he would say that, right? The risen Jesus is right in front of him. I mean, he's there, really. He could touch him. And and it's my Lord and my God. And here's what Jesus said. Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Here's the next point. Blessed are those who believe without needing more proof. Blessed are those 
who believe without needing more proof. You know, I hear that all the time. Unless God shows himself, I'm not going to believe. Okay, chances are you probably won't believe. Because to be honest with you, belief ultimately is a heart issue, not an issue of how much facts you have. It's a heart issue. And you can have all the proof in the world, but you can still decide, I don't want to believe it. We know that from human life, right? Somebody comes to you and presents all these facts, this is going on, but in your mind you are convinced that it's wrong and it doesn't matter how much people present to you as far as what's going on, you're going to say, I don't believe it. So it's not an issue of having more proof. And so Jesus is saying, "Is blessed are those who believe without needing more proof because the reality is you already have enough proof. What is it? Well, listen to what he goes on in verse 30 and 31. This statement was put there for a reason. It's to help you to understand why we have belief. Look at verse 30 and 31. Here's what the writer writes. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe. What is written? The gospel of John was written so that you what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Here's what it is. All that you need for faith in Jesus is found in God's word. All you need is right here. Okay, so I told you, you know, 22 years ago, no, 37 years ago, I came to faith as an engineering student at the University of South Carolina. That happened in April of 1985, third Tuesday, whatever that day was. Just know it was the third Tuesday of the month. Someone told me to read the Gospel of John. And being in the South, I'll be honest with you, it's a little bit different than being in Pennsylvania or in the Northeast. I mean, Christianity is just part of the culture. So you hear about putting your faith in Jesus and, and all of that all around. So I, I had an understanding of that, but it never internalized to me. Until that night when I read through the Gospel of John. Oh, my Bible's falling apart. Um, maybe it's time to get a new one. Probably not. Okay, so I read the Gospel of John, and it, it, my mind and my heart opened up to the reality of him. It's not that he spoke to me in that moment. There was no words uttered. It was not that I had this overwhelming sense of peace. That didn't happen. I didn't even have chills down my spine. It was just the realization from reading the Gospel of who he was and what I needed to do that I found myself get on my knees and say, Jesus, I will follow you. Here's my life. And from that moment on, he drastically changed my entire direction of life. So much so that I had to keep speaking about him and continue to this day to speak about him. See, all you need for faith is right here. 
Now, now, has it been strengthened when I see him answer prayer? Yes. Has it been strengthened when, when crazy stuff happens? I, I, you know, I, 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 we don't have time for the stories. The airplane rides, the different things that have happened, where it's like, that was God. Not just a coincidence. But my faith wasn't in those things. My faith was in understanding who he was. And so John, the writer, is here saying, these things were written so that you would have what? Faith, that you would believe in the Son of God. And folks, he's alive. So where do we go with this? All right, George, we've spent all this time. We've looked at the reality of Jesus. We've looked at the issue of faith and doubt. Where do we go with this? Well, let me, let me just say this. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with doubts about something, I'm going to tell you where you go to talk about it. Yeah, you can come talk to me, but I'm going to direct you to somebody else. God. He's the best person to listen. I've gone to him many times with doubts. And I've worked it through with him because I've talked to him. And he's guided me into scripture to help me to understand. And then I just put my faith there. It's natural. The struggles are real. But here's the thing. That's the Christian life, isn't it? Do you want to know what the, the greatest test of your faith will be that's yet to come? Do you want to know, I've, I just realized this in the last year, being with so many loved ones who, who entered into eternity. The greatest test of faith, I heard, I, read, I realized it was a test of faith because of a reading I read in Oswald Chambers, and he describes it as such. The greatest test of faith is right before you die. When you're faced with the reality of what's coming and what you believe and whether you're going to hold on. Doubts are a part of our lives. Don't let them defeat you. Let me pray for you.